This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. Coming up, if you want to get a hold of your finances, my next guest has written a great little book. It's called Simple Wealth, Six Proven Principles for Financial Freedom. We'll talk to David Ash. It's a a really great book. But first, some of the consumer news headlines. It was a bad start to the week for TELUS, or should I say a bad start for a lot of seniors and children of seniors trying to phone in and schedule a COVID vaccination, especially for those in the Vancouver Coastal Health Region. Many spent hours and hours on the phone trying to get through, and BC Health Minister Adrian Dix laid most of the blame on TELUS. It was especially bad in Vancouver. In fact, of all the vaccinations booked in BC on Monday, only 2.5% were with Vancouver Coastal Health. And if there's any positives that have come out of uh, COVID, here's one. A lot less people died in the lower mainland in traffic accidents. According to the city of Vancouver, there was a 39% drop in traffic deaths and a 55% drop in emergency room visits from traffic accidents. The city says overall, vehicle volume dropped to its lowest level in the first week of April 2020 to 50 to 60% of what it usually was. But the cars have gradually come back on the roads with the city saying the volume is back to 85 to 90% of pre-pandemic levels. Meantime, this past Thursday has been marked as a national day of observance in honor of those lost to COVID-19. It also marked exactly one year since the World Health Organization declared it a global pandemic. This was this past Thursday. More than two and a half people, uh, two and a half million people around the world have died as a result of coronavirus over the past year. More than 22,000 of them in Canada. And don't forget, it's daylight savings time. So what you have to do is you have to wake up at 2 a.m. this morning when you go to bed tonight. Uh, Wake up at 2 a.m., put your clock ahead one hour, and then you can go back to bed. You don't have to actually wake up at 2 a.m., but uh, uh, you can do it in the morning. And nowadays, everything gets changed automatically anyway. All the computers do it. There's always one clock in your house that stays the same, and you leave it there for three weeks and do the math in your head. But uh, do it right away. But regardless, spring forward at 2 a.m., this morning, tonight. Uh, And it is Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. Coming up, it's the author of a great book. It's called Simple Wealth, Six Proven Principles for Financial Freedom. David Ash has some simple ways that you can get on top of your finances. It's also a great book if you have young children, uh, maybe just starting out in their financial life in their early 20s. That's all coming up when Vancouver Consumer continues on CKNW. It's Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. And if you are looking for a book about personal finance that is dense, hard to read, confusing, with a lot of jargon, lots of sales pitches, this is not the book. Simple Wealth, Six Proven Principles for Financial Freedom is a simple, very readable book which kind of distills everything you need to know to get into some good habits and pave the way for solid financial, and I'm going to say it, personal growth as well. It's that kind of book. Very happy to have the author of Simple Wealth, 
Six Proven Principles for Financial Freedom with me, David Ash. Hello, David. How are you? I'm doing well, Martin. Thank you very much for having me on the show today. Uh, you're very welcome. And a, and a special shout out to Kurt from Alpine Credit for helping to make this happen. Uh, now, this book, uh, I had an opportunity to read it. And uh, like, like I say, it's a simple, very readable book. And before we get into the six proven principles, you know, they're, they're kind of, uh, you know, I think they apply to everybody. Let's, let's hear your story first, because I think it's pretty interesting, um, you know, the way you came to write this book. Why did you write this book? And, and you're an entrepreneur. You've had all sorts of experience in different businesses, and now you've written this book. Just Why? Yeah, yeah, Martin. You know, it's, it's, I'm glad you're asking that question first because it's important um, to get that out. I'm an entrepreneur uh, and a full-time investor, and I'm a career entrepreneur. I've been in different businesses uh, my most of my adult life. And um, a few years ago, my wife and I took a break. Uh, we were doing some estate planning, uh, looking at our future. I'm going to be a grandfather. We're, we're going to be grandparents in the Congratulations. summer. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and when that happens, you start thinking differently and thinking about the future and you think about the next generations. And, and as I was thinking about, you know, the next generations behind us, our kids and our, our, our grandkids, um, of course, you know, the realization that, you know, I may not be around to help them uh, and give them good advice when they need it, it really sunk in. And um, my wife and I agreed that it would be a great idea for me to try and get down in writing my very best thinking and advice on all things financial so that when they ask, you know, what, what would dad do, they'll, they'll have a very clear, you know, uh, concise roadmap. And that, that was reason number one, I would say the most compelling reason. But the other reason, uh, almost as compelling for me at least, is that at the age of 28, I went bankrupt. Uh, so I'm 60 years of age. I'm almost 61 and, uh, you know, as a young entrepreneur in my early 20s, uh, I had no financial discipline, no framework. I had no training, no education and bookkeeping, no mentorship. I come from a working class family. Uh, my, my parents had no business background. Uh, so I made all the classic mistakes when it comes to money management in my 20s. And as an entrepreneur, you have money running through your, your bank account and you have an opportunity to make a lot of mistakes. So that ended in bankruptcy at the age of 28. So at the age of 28, you know, at that low point, I, I, um, I was frankly, I mean, it was literally the very low, you know, the lowest point of my young life. And I was with, with my wife at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really didn't know what to do or where to go. And at that time, I remembered a little book that I'd read a few years earlier called The Richest Man in Babylon. And The Richest Man in Babylon is a, uh, a classic in this uh, genre in the financial um, uh, creating wealth or, or financial wisdom yeah, and literature it's a, genre. It's an old book, right? A hundred years old. Right. Um, it's almost, I mean, almost a hundred years old. And so anyway, I got a hold of this little book and, you know, in this very challenging state, you know, this low point in my life where I was very demoralized and I didn't know what to do. I read this little book and it's a series of fables set in Babylonian times, and it talks about the rules of gold and the universal principles of wealth creation. So, of course, I, I hung on every word that George Klassen, the author, wrote in that little book. And I went to my wife and I said, hey, sweetheart, we need, you know, I need a, I need a roadmap here. I need a, a set of principles to follow. Please read this book and, you know, let me know what you think. And I think, we'd, you know, it'd be nice if we could do this together. She read it. 
and um, and she agreed uh, that you know there's something that we should do together, and we embrace these principles. And of course, one of the principles, one of the golden rules, the first and most important of all the golden rules, is to save at least 10% of all you earn. And of course, we began doing that. And, uh, and and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, we're we're talking to David Ash. He's the the author of the book Simple Wealth: Six Proven Principles for Financial Freedom. And he just mentioned the first principle because these principles are not uh, they're not anything crazy. You know, it's not you know number four is not buy Bitcoin. It's it's actual. <laughs> It's actual sort of uh, life lessons. And like you say, number one is save 10% of what you earn. And uh, the thing I like about this book, I have a son who's in his early 20s and a daughter in her early 20s. And uh, I want them to read this book because it's the young people who have an opportunity because it's, sometimes it's hard to be young because it seems like old people have everything. But the one thing that old people don't have is time and young people do. And if you can get into a habit of saving 10% of your, your salary, whatever that is, that, that is really huge, isn't it? Yeah, Martin, exactly. I mean, um, you're right. T- time is your friend, you know, when it comes to creating wealth. Uh, most people underestimate the exponential power of compounding. Uh, and, and almost all of us, you know, we, we overestimate, you know, what we're able to achieve in a year and we underestimate what we can achieve in 20, 30 or 40 years. So if, if um, you can get a hold of this idea when you're young and no matter what you do for a living, like, I mean, you know, whether you're a regular wage earner uh, or an entrepreneur, it uh, doesn't matter, whatever your income is, if you can set aside 10% of that, and learn how to invest it wisely and safely, uh, no matter how much you're in, you'll be okay in the end. Now, okay is a relative term. You know, it depends on what your your income is going to be and and, uh, your your ability uh, in investing it. But at the end of the day, it'll be a whole, you know, having something, a whole bunch of something is a lot better than a stack of bills that you can't pay when you're uh, uh, looking at your retirement. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the book is Simple Wealth, Six Proven Principles for Financial Freedom. And I, I guess it's available at Amazon. Yeah, amazon.ca.com, of course. And uh, if you go to our website, there's a few other platforms it's available on. Simplewealthbooks.com is our website. You can go there. And uh, the Audible edition's coming up in a couple of weeks, but you can get it on Kindle right now. So, oh, very cool. So, so number one, you just mentioned was save 10%, yeah. put it away, just get into that habit, no matter how old yeah. you are. Uh, number, yes. number two is control. And, and I guess the first thing you should control is expenses because the obvious thing in your book is, is don't spend more than you earn, but it's control is the name mm-hmm. of the chapter, but it's, it's, it's yeah. about more than just expenses, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it's embracing a lifestyle. The you know the thing, the the idea with the saving ten percent, uh, Martin. It's the foundational principle, and it's it's non-negotiable. So no matter how much you earn, no matter how many bills you have, ten um, percent of all you earn should come off the top, and then that forces you to control your expenses. And 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 what that means is that you know you should wrap your arms around you know all that you're doing. Look at you know your your life. Uh, separate your needs from your wants. And uh, embrace as much as possible the idea that uh, any sacrifice, uh, any uh, delayed gratification that you're experiencing now is an investment 
in your future, you know, whether it's your future or your family's future. And, uh, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, once you start saving, if you, if you don't, if you're not saving right now and you're not investing uh, and you have an empty bank account and you're, you're under financial pressure, once you start saving that 10% and once you start uh, uh, controlling your expenses, uh, the joy that you previously took in spending money, uh, you'll now begin to take in saving money. And that was our experience because I used to spend money, you know, uh, uh, you know, thoughtlessly, and and I enjoyed it when I spent it, paid the price for it later. Once we started saving and and embraced these principles, the, the every time we took another step to to save money became exciting and became a project for us. We embraced the idea of not spending money uh, with as much joy and excitement as we uh, took in previously spending. Yeah, I'm going to tell that to my kids. Uh, see see if, you, if, you could, uh, if you can convince them of that. But, but what is the biggest mistake? If, there, if, if you can put this into words, if there's a specific thing with people not living within their means, are there specific things you can think about that people can do to, to fix that? Or what, what is it that people, why do we need to spend more than we earn? Yeah, you know, I think we're all, um, uh, we, you know, we're complex beings. I mean, you know, the way we think and feel about money, um, you know, uh, happens on a very deep level. And we all have different triggers and different desires. And obviously, uh, debt is a big one. There's a lot of research that's been done on the psychology of money. Um, Bradley uh, Klontz is a, a psychologist, a financial psychologist uh, in the United States, has done some research on this. And he and his partner, um, Sonia Britt, came up with this, this, this idea. Their research came up with this idea that we all have a money script. It's like a, it's like a, a movie script, uh, a story that we tell ourselves about money and our relationship with it. And what, what he says is that, you know, our individual feelings uh, and the way we respond to money and the way that we deal with money, um, you know, is affected by, it's shaped by our socioeconomic backgrounds, um, you know, how much money our family had or didn't have, uh, the culture we come from, the family we come from. It's, it's shaped by our life experiences and often how we're thinking and how we're responding to money in the world around us uh, is happening on a very subconscious level. Um, so it's important you know, for us to step back and say, hey, um, you know, I'm getting, I'm, you know, these things are happening to me or not happening, and why? Uh, Bradley Clonson is, is, is a fellow researcher, came up with the idea that there's these four different scripts. And I, I like the idea. I, I don't think this research is definitive, and I don't think it applies to everybody necessarily, but I think it's great language to at least start the conversation around where, where we're individually at. And he breaks them down into four scripts. First script is avoidance. Um, you know, avoiders uh, believe that money is bad and that they don't deserve it and that rich people are greedy. Uh, worshippers believe money, uh, money worshippers uh, is the second uh, of the two uh, scripts, and, and they believe that money is the key to happiness. Uh, and, but the, the challenge with being a money worshipper is that you're never satisfied. Uh, then the third script is status seekers. Money status seekers, uh, he says, see... Uh, their net worth and their self-worth as being the same. Uh, then, of course, the last one is the money vigilant, which I think of the four is probably the healthiest, but again, that can be still unhealthy. The money vigilant are savers. Uh, mm -hmm. They can, you know, they have to pay cash for everything uh, or else they won't buy it. 
they also can become anxious or secretive when it comes to their finances. And I think that sort of being money vigilant in the extreme can probably lead to uh, a miserly attitude, which can be also very negative. So understanding, though, looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, hey, you know, what some of us are a blend of these two scripts. I know, for example, myself, uh, I wrestled with, uh, you know, looking at when I looked at this when I read his research, I, I had a good look in the mirror and I said, well, you know, I think I'm a, I'm a today I'm a, probably a blend of two or three of them. Um, and I know when I was younger, certainly I was um, much more dramatic, uh, probably struggled with the, uh, the idea of being a money avoider. One story that comes to mind when I think about this is um, I was in my probably my early 30s or so. I was at a business conference sharing, um, swapping entrepreneurial stories with some other uh, uh, business friends. And it just, you know, we we're talking about what motivated us. And I, I shared with my, my friends that I thought I was motivated because uh, I came from, a, from humble beginnings. That I, I came from a family that didn't have it any. And this gentleman sitting across the table from me, who I didn't know that well, looked across the table at me and he said, Dave, I think you're full of it. <laughs> I said, okay. Um, I've never been called a liar before in public uh, by someone who doesn't know me that well. Uh, so I, I was, I went quiet. The whole table went quiet when he said I was full of it. Uh, and then he said, then he continued on and he said, you know, I'm from a wealthy family. My father, uh, you know, did very well in business. And when I was 19 and I graduated from high school, my father stroked me a check for a million dollars. And he said, here, son, here's a million dollars go into the world and yeah, do your best. I took that million dollars, he says. I bought a, a brand new Camaro um, and I uh, went to university. So this gentleman went to university, got a, a computer science, a computer engineering degree, graduated from university. He went on to tell us. Uh, this was back in the dot-com days. After he graduated, him and a friend started a computer consulting firm, uh, did very well. And at the time of this conversation with him, he told us that they had just sold that business and had done very well, made millions of dollars, and that he and his wife and children were planning a sailboat adventure around the world. So my feelings around money, here I was being an ambitious entrepreneur, a young guy, but from humble beginnings, and telling, my story, telling myself a story which was really untrue. You know, laziness and ambition are alive and well at all levels of the socioeconomic yeah. matter. There are, there, are, <laughs> there are rich people that are very lazy, and uh, there are poor people that are very lazy. That is, and, and that is very true. That is very true. And uh, I want to hear more about this when we uh, come back. We have to take a break. Uh, David Ash is the author of Simple Wealth, Six Proven Principles for Financial Freedom. And uh, when we come back, we're going to hear more about how this book can help you kind of get on the right path. And I uh, also want to give a big shout out to uh, Alpine Credit for making all this happen. It's all coming up when Vancouver Consumer continues on CKNW. Welcome back. It's Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. And uh, with me now is David Ash. He has written a really lovely little book. It's called Simple Wealth, Six Proven Principles for Financial Freedom. Um, it's, not a, it's not a long read. It's a very readable uh, little book. And uh, basically uh, just some sort of philosophy to get on the right track financially. And uh, David, I think this would be a great book to give to a younger person just getting started. I, I guess that's kind of what you were thinking about when you wrote it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, Martin, I have no uh, ulterior motives or agenda here except to share um, good, uh, solid information. Uh, basically, Simple Wealth is a you know a, a new financial or not a new financial worldview. It's a it's a financial worldview that is uh, based on timeless truths that can help anybody, and uh, that's that's our goal. The sooner uh, people get a hold of these ideas, of course, the better. Yeah. And, and you can get this book, uh, Simple Wealth, at Amazon.com or Amazon.ca, I should say. Um, and we talked about the, the six proven principles. Number one is save. Save. Put away 10% of, of your, your dough, everything you earn, put away. And I guess 10% is not very much in the scheme of things, and it's non-negotiable. No matter if you have debts or whatever, just put 10% away and forget about it. And uh, that that makes perfect sense. Uh, Also, control your expenses. Number two, don't spend more than you earn. And then and then number three uh, is multiply. And I guess that's where where how you invest the money comes in. Yeah, uh, Martin, of course, making your money, making your money multiply is um, is important. I mean, um, as we all know, uh, the banks aren't paying us anything to keep it in our savings accounts. Uh, these days. And um, however, the good news is, is that there are a number of very safe ways to make your money multiply and to to grow your savings over time. Uh, The key to that, though, um, of course, is to embrace the idea that, uh, you know, you're saving this money and investing it for the long term. Uh, Where most people go wrong is that they they make an investment, uh, they go in one investment, they, they jump in and out of various investments. And just the cost, the commissions and the, um, the money they, they lose on the various uh, transactions uh, eat away at their, their profits. But um, in terms of making your money multiply, in the book, I, I cover a couple of different ways to do that. Real estate, of course, is one that I recommend. Uh, I mean, we all know if you live in the lower mainland Vancouver, you can't help but think about real estate, particularly now with with the way the market's going. Um, And real estate's a great spot to start. Uh, Of course, uh, other ways are to invest in the stock market. Um, I I highly recommend S&P 500 index funds, um, buying and holding them for the long long haul, which gives you uh, exposure to the broader market, allows you to participate in the in the profits of some of the biggest and greatest companies, uh, basically in the world. Yeah, and these and these investments you're talking about are not the sexy ones. They're the pretty basic with index funds, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of talk right now about things like cryptocurrencies and uh, day trading and all the rest of it. And, 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 you know, if, if you're looking at some of those things, a lot of those are more vocational. So they're, you know, if you're going to trade, if you're going to be a day trader, for example, that's a job. You have to sit in front of your computer and buy and sell stocks for however many hours a day you do that. And then, of course, when you're not actually trading, you have to be doing the research to do that effectively. If you have a job, if you have another vocation or a passion and you don't want to be sitting in front of a computer screen all day, uh, jumping in and out of stocks or doing research, reading financial reports, and you want to make, if you want to participate in the stock market, the safest way to do that uh, is to invest in an S&P 500 index fund, uh, buy it and hold it forever. That way you're sharing in the profits of great companies like Apple, Berkshire Hathaway, Microsoft, Walmart, you name them, you use them every single day. They're dominant players. And, uh, you know, you need money to make money, of course. And that, and, and, you know, that, that's, that's not new. We've heard, we've heard our parents and our grandparents say that, and that's true. 
So why not buy a piece of the biggest companies that have the biggest market share that are making the most money? And you can do that when you invest in an S&P 500 index fund. You're a part of that club. Uh, And anybody can do that. But the key to success is to buy, to invest, and to hold. Where people go wrong is they jump in and they jump out. Uh, When the market goes down, you have to have a steady hand and and have a long-term view and, and know that eventually things will come back and grow over time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's about multiplying what you invest in. And number four is protect, which I guess is sort of a continuation of that. Just make sure that you're not, A, you're not uh, being killed by by mutual fund fees and those kind of things. And, and But how else can you protect uh, this 10% that you're putting away every paycheck? Yeah, and, and Martin, you know, that's, that, that's, that's one of the lessons that are learned the hard way, and I've learned them. Uh, I've learned them the hard way more than once, unfortunately. Um, you know, so, yes, picking the right kind of investment in terms of the stock market, let's say, or real estate, in, incredibly important. But we're all presented with opportunities, uh, friends, relatives uh, in our daily life. Uh, you know, sometimes we're presented with what, what appears to be a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, and it's important for people to remember that, you know, um, there's no... Um, when, it, when, it comes to make, when it comes to making money, um, there's, no, there's no... The idea of a get-rich-quick scheme... Um, if, it, if someone's promising the idea that they're going, you're going to get rich quick, they're likely not telling the truth and, and or they perhaps are deluded themselves. So it's important to, to have a plan, whatever that plan is, and to stick to it and not to get distracted by the shiny objects, by the, by the new and the wonderful things that you're hearing in the media or that other people are doing. And understand that the risk levels that are associated with different categories, for example, I've seen, and it's broke, uh, you know, my heart breaks when I see this, people work their whole lives, save diligently, invest in their RSPs, they get to their retirement or near retirement, and their brother-in-law comes along and says, hey, I'm starting a business, why don't you come into the business with me and be a partner, be a silent partner, invest some of that life savings. The person that's retiring invests their life savings into a small enterprise, trusting their brother-in-law, who's never perhaps been in business before, and loses a good portion of their life savings uh, investing in a private enterprise, which is the riskiest of all businesses, all types of investments you can invest in. So now I'm an entrepreneur. I've been in and out of businesses my whole life. I love being a business for myself, but it is a risky endeavor and you have to make those decisions carefully. So protecting is all about being, doing your research, being conservative, assessing risk and, and making sure that you're, uh, you know, the people that are sharing information with you are really telling you the truth. And, and that, that comes from, you know, due diligence and, you know, working with good people, quality people, and quality assets. Mm-hmm. The book is called Simple Wealth. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. David Ash is the author of Simple Wealth, The Six Proven Principles for Financial Freedom. And uh, as we've been hearing, they're, they're pretty basic uh, basic things to follow. There's nothing crazy about about all this, but it is really nice to have it in a in a book that kind of spells it all out. And one of the things that's interesting to me is you are a big believer in owning your own home versus renting a home in terms of your financial health. Yeah, I mean, one of the principles we have is uh, in the in the book uh, number five is own, uh, and as much as humanly possible, if you can afford it save your down payment, buy a house, you're going to have to pay 
uh, if you're not owning your own home, you're going to have to pay rent anyway. So put that money down on on a mortgage and pay that house off as soon as you can. And, uh, you know, that it, it's a pretty much a slam dunk. I think there's something about owning a home that gives us a sense of pride, uh, a sense of commitment to our community and a sense of, um, I think, hopefulness for the future, uh, financially at least. Uh, so, yeah, um, owning a home to me is a fundamental and it's certainly one of our one of the six proven principles. But what about when someone comes to you and says, well, I live in Vancouver. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, well, but I guess it's always like that because I, I bought a home 23 years ago in Vancouver. People thought I was nuts. Uh, and I, yeah. guess, I guess it's never going to be like, a, uh, you know, wow, this is a steal. <laughs> You're, it's always yeah. going to be a bit of a step. Yeah, that's right, Martin. I mean, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, Vancouver, first of all, is a unique market. Um, so, so I'm, we're, <laughs> I'm talking to you. We're in Vancouver. So let's talk about Vancouver. So um, there are people listening to this show right now uh, who will not be able to, who cannot save enough today or likely tomorrow to buy a place in Vancouver. The prices are, you know, some of the highest, uh, but certainly the highest in Canada. Uh, and that's Okay. So they have a decision to make if they want to own their own home. Do they leave the lower mainland Vancouver and go to a community, a smaller community in British Columbia or somewhere else? Or do they just decide to invest in some other way uh, for another day and, and, and buy something down the road? Other people, some other very creative solutions have occurred where people are partnering with family members. Uh, we see parents uh, buying properties with their kids. Uh, we see sometimes, uh, if you're lucky enough, if you have a parent who will bequeath, uh, uh, we see wealth transference occurring sometimes now a little bit earlier to help adult children buy a place. Uh, that, of course, is, is very unique. Not everybody has that opportunity. But if those options aren't open to you, then, you know, the, the idea is you do the best you can. If you can't, you can't. And if you can, you can Mm-hmm. And since we've kind of gone through uh, the, the, the six principles, we might as well hit on the last one in the couple of minutes we have left. Uh, it, the, last, the last principle uh, for financial freedom is uh, increase. And I, I guess that's kind of uh, making money while you sleep, which, yeah. <laughs> which is well, important. Yeah, increasing your ability to earn. Actually, you know, Martin, that, that, that principle is... Um, I think always it's more about always looking for ways to increase your ability to earn. So some of us have that ability more than others. Um, so if you're in a in a profession, uh, or an if you're an entrepreneur, uh, you'll have your antenna up looking for new ways to get a you know get paid better for whatever it is you're doing by increasing your your credentials or perhaps uh, moving to a better uh, company or, or, or a better position if you're an entrepreneur you'll look for uh, new markets or new products to sell um, and and of course there are some of your listeners today might not be entrepreneurs and they might not have a profession and they may have uh, jobs that are fairly limiting in that regard um, so the idea is to always be if that's the case though is that no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your station in life is, if, if you're always looking for ways to increase your ability to earn, if you're limited in your capacity to do that because you're not an entrepreneur or a professional and that's not clear to you, one way to do that would be, if you want to save 10%, would be to get another job, uh, perhaps a part-time job. For example, my I was just thinking about this this morning, actually. My, my wife comes from the prairies. Uh, her father, limited education, um, hard-working construction uh, guy raised a family of six kids. 
on a very uh, on a smaller wage. But in the summers, uh, he and his sons would pave driveways uh, in their community. So in addition to his very fixed, limited wage, he had a small business that he started on the side. Today, they call it a side hustle. Um, I don't know how much money he made, but, you know, he raised six kids, owned their own home. They had snowmobiles in the winter. And my wife never felt hard done by it. Mm-hmm. But, when, but she told me a very touching story. She was a registered nurse. She was helping her father do his tax returns when she was, uh, when she was a registered nurse the, uh, after being a registered nurse for a year or so. And she was sitting down with her father doing her tax returns. And she realized for the first moment, at that moment, that as a registered nurse, she was earning more than her father did, who had been working already for 30 years in the construction business in Manitoba, and it broke her heart. But her father, you know, looked for additional ways to increase his ability to earn. He did what he had to do. And I think that's important because today there's a lot of talk about self-actualization, a lot of talk about self-improvement and doing what is meaningful to you and what, what, you know, brings you alive. But there are some very basic principles that our parents and our grandparents had to anchor themselves to, such as, you know, working hard, sacrificing, you know, self-determination, self-sacrifice, delaying gratification. All of these things are important things to remember and to embrace if you're going to create wealth and, and build a financial future for yourself and for your family. And it's all in the book. Simple Wealth, Six Proven Principles for Financial Freedom. Uh, be a great gift for a young person. Uh, you can get it on Amazon.ca. Simple Wealth. David Ash is the author. Thank you so much, David. Thank you very much, Martin. Very, very uh, interesting topic and uh, just a lovely book, Simple Wealth. Uh, I'm Martin Strong, and a special thanks to Alpine Credit for helping make this happen. A shout-out to Kurt out at Alpine Credit. And when we come back, uh, Vancouver Consumer continues, and we're going to ask Andrew. It's Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong, and with me now is Andrew Ferreira. He's the executive producer of Vancouver Consumer, and uh, he does a feature called Ask Andrew. We've been uh, talking about museums, a lot of museums hurting because of COVID, uh, but you've got some news about the Vancouver Museum, which I love. It's the it's the place right beside the planetarium. They have all all sorts of really interesting sort of Vancouver related exhibits. Uh, what's going on there? Uh, so yeah, uh, and you know the reason I bring the reason I bring up museums is because I was I was. I don't want to say handed because nobody handed it to me. Nobody's in the office, uh, <laughs> but I was emailed. Uh, a press release from Museums Canada, and they're just um, a national coalition of museums, as you might think. Uh, and they put out a survey uh, this week, and here are some of the numbers. Um, as of May 2020, this is last year, uh, almost 13% of museums around the world were forecasted to close permanently. 10% wow. in North America. Yeah, that's terrible. Uh, one in 10 museums. Uh, and they say, no, if museums go under due to the pandemic, it would deal a massive blow to not only our country's history and culture, but greatly affect the economy. Um, and so that got me thinking. Uh, and so I, I wanted, to, I remembered, you know, the museum that I think gets passed up on a lot um, in the lower mainland. That really shouldn't, because I think it's one of Canada's best, you know, civic history museums, mm-hmm. uh, is the Museum of Vancouver. 
Uh, and a lot of people don't even know that we actually have a museum of Vancouver. People know we've got the art gallery, and a lot of people know about the Maritime Museum. Uh, and even funnier, a lot of people know about the planetarium, the A.T.R. McMillan Space Center. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk about, you know, Vancouver civic history. They do it in a way that's really interesting. Like they'll have, uh, uh, you know, punk rock posters, a whole exhibit of Vancouver punk rock. Uh, and they do it in a really interesting way at the Vancouver Museum. And that's one of the reasons why I really love the Museum of Vancouver is because it's not, you know, like, you know, what people like to think a museum is, which is a boring, stuffy place uh, with nothing to do but stare at old things. Um, but this is really interesting and good timing because on Monday, uh, the Museum of Vancouver is uh, announcing uh, new hours for spring break. And yes, spring break is already essentially upon us. Scary, I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they'll be open Wednesday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And I brought up uh, the planetarium because, like I said, a lot of people know about the planetarium, but not the Museum of Vancouver. They're in the same building. Mm-hmm. They're in the same building. Yeah. So if you know where the planetarium is, you know where the Museum of Vancouver is. But if you don't know where the planetarium is, no worries. It's in Kitsilano in Vancouver. Uh, Again, they're having extended opening hours starting uh, this week for spring break, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Wednesday through Sunday. Go out there and patronize. Uh, Patronize? Patron? (laughs) Be a patron of? Nice museum. Nice museum you've got here. It is a very nice museum. You're you're patronizing this museum. Be Be a patron of... Uh, local museums and not just Museum of Vancouver. There are, you know, oodles of local small museums that I'm I can't remember off the top of my head, but go out and look around because they're everywhere. They need help. And you know what? It's a pretty darn good way to spend an afternoon. Yeah. And you can keep some distance from people. And then as things get back to normal, that's what you should do. Get out to the museums. So excellent, excellent, uh, an excellent idea from Andrew Ferreira, our executive producer, of uh, Vancouver Consumer. And that's it for us. Um, Join us again next Saturday at 2 p.m. And don't forget, 2 a.m. when you go to bed tonight, uh, you're going to wake up. It's going to be an hour later. So we'll spring forward. uh, Daylight saving time, whether you like it or not, we're going to have to do it. But uh, have a great rest of the weekend. I'm Martin Strong. And uh, like I say, we'll see you next week at 2 o'clock on Saturday. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.